0: The Internet. Johnny Dollar. Johnny, it's James from Tomb of Ideas.
1: Oh, and let me guess. Some chumps have fed you a cock and bull story about devils in the Big Apple. Now I'm the first to tell you that New York stinks more than a basement full of cheese. But I'm here to give you the straight dope of Marvel's little rumpus, something in the rum pots, the stoolies, and the hopheads call inferno. I knew
0: you were the guy to call. Listen, we need a guest host for the episode. Any ideas? Uh yeah.
1: David Gallagher. I hear he's not busy. Also, a little nuttier than a fruitcake during Christmas, so you catch my drift. It'll be perfect for your show. Sounds great. I'll give him a call. Thanks, Johnny. You're welcome.
0: Tonight, and every fortnight, it's time now for everyone's favorite Marvel horror podcast, The Tomb of Ideas! Starring James Nixon and Trey Lawson. Tonight's special guest, David Gallagher. Tonight's episode... Minister Sinister. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. My name is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And Trey, have I got a guest for us, recommended to me from a very reliable source, I got a David Gallagher
2: fantastic
0: those of you uh, who are listening to some of our other episodes and i understand if you're just here for the guest i mean who wouldn't be may remember david from our phase rip episode david you were nice enough to run us through unicorn island
1: that was so fun it Was so fun <laughs> so fun. it
0: really was it was hard to edit but it was lots of fun
1: <laughs> man you think that episode's gonna be hard to edit <laughs> the episode that we're we're gonna run for christmas is gonna be ridiculous There's something for our stockings. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, Thank you, Trey and uh, James, for having me. I'm David Gallagher. I'm the author of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, graphic novel, Green Lantern, uh, Dark Star and the Winter Guard for Marvel, Iron Man, and uh, uh, video game author for uh, Ghost Recon franchise for Tom Clancy. Very nice. So,
0: okay, we we should talk about this. Usually we ask our guests. How they got started, like their history of the X-Men. It's a segment we've been calling Previously on X-Men. But you've dropped a little nugget here that I have to ask you about. Your your experience writing for Giant Dollar. What was it like
1: writing for radio? Writing for radio is amazing because it's the opposite of writing for comics. So <laughs> when you read when you read a comic, you're putting the soundtrack in your head, right? But when you're creating a brand new comic graphic novel series that is based on a radio show, you're creating all the visuals. So it's literally the antithesis of one another. And the fun is in trying to understand and stage and block those scenes while thinking about all the actors' voices in your head. But then when people read it, you know, are they getting that same visceral feel of listening to the radio show? So it's absolutely a blast. And I I would adapt John and create new John Dollar stories till the te- cows come home if i had the time was that your first writing job like that it, was my first paid writing gig yeah i as an intern for marvel on staff at marvel for marvel interactive i like wrote iron man and spider-man as staffers for their digital webcomic series but called like the threaded web and so the first one is like iron man goes on a date with a model and wakanda and bites the living laser and the other one's like Human Torch, Johnny Storm is an untold tales of Spider-Man and Human Torch goes on a date with Mary Jane once and it goes disastrous because Peter sees them and it's a whole thing. So, but those were like small little digital comics things, but Johnny Dollar was my first paid comics work. Yeah.
0: Wow. Cause I've been listening
1: to a lot of Johnny Dollar recently. And that comic that I wrote was 20 years ago.
0: Goodness gracious. It doesn't
1: feel that long ago, does it? Yeah doesn't but it makes me feel old when I think about it I'm like oh my god that book came I wrote it 22 years I wrote it 20 in 2001 so I wrote it December 2001 so I wrote it 22 years ago that's from Moonstone right yeah through Moonstone books yeah
0: yeah you know Trey that that podcast we almost did before we did this podcast we ended up on the press list for Moonstone and they still (laughs) send me stuff <laughs> like, I, I should probably tell somebody there, we don't do a pulp
2: because we, we originally were, were thinking of it, and someday one of us may circle around to doing it anyway. But we were going to do something very pulpy,
1: yeah. I love, pulp. I love it, it's my favorite.
2: I've always had a soft spot for Doc Savage and Shadow, and
1: yeah, uh, I, I love that stuff, yeah. And Superman, early Superman stories are a little pulpy, yeah. Uh, I, I, speaking about pulp though comic books are made of wood pulp and that's why we're here to discuss <laughs> <They
2: are>. yes <laughs> that is a fantastic that's the best transition we've had in a very long time
1: so okay. I could have gone like i could have gone speaking of uh heroes pulp heroes uh, you know the x-men grew out of our love for pulp and a shared no but i went with wood pulp because our heroes during inferno do get pulped <laughs> so what is your history with the x-men My history with the X-Men, my first exposure to the X-Men was through Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So Mm -hmm. my first love will always be Firestar, always. And my exposure to her was in first she was in a Firestar is Born episode, which was in season two of Spider-Man and his amazing friends, where it's Spider-Man, the Juggernaut and the X-Men teaming up to fight the Juggernaut, well, Spider-Man and the X-Men teaming up to fight. Juggernaut while simultaneously getting Firestar's backstory interspersed as a A B narrative. So that was really great. And then then in season three, there was the X-Men adventure furthering Firestar's whole plot about how she fell in love with a guy named Nathan Price, and how Nathan was doing a transporter accident, I mean transporter thing, and he gets into an accident where part of his body is burned off and he becomes the evil cyber he traps the X-Men in the X-Mansion. And so that was my first exposure to them. Then in the comics, my brother one day was at the grocery store and saw Angel and Iceman on the cover of New Defenders fighting the New Mutants. And he got that for me. So that was my second exposure to the X-Men. And then and then it sort of dribbled through into like early 86, 85, 86. No, wait, 86? Is that when Inferno came out? A66. It would have been late
2: 88 was the beginning
1: of Inferno. 88, 88, so then right when 88. So I was in eighth grade when Inferno came out. And then that was when everybody was talking about the X-Men. And it was when I was into the Fantastic Four and uh, Avengers and stuff. And some of that bled into the books that I liked. So I ended up reading the tail end of of Inferno. So like these, these issues we're talking about the avengers 300 you know so the tail end of inferno but when i really got into comics was acts of vengeance so like my real exposure to the x-men was basically 250 until 281 so that's the chunk of like my x-men reading experience that's the stuff i always go back to like 255 and 254 some of my favorite issues 275 With that amazing Jim Lee pullout cover with Forge and Banshee and uh, Wolverine and Psylocke and Storm and Gambit and Jubilee. All that stuff is really good.
0: This episode, we are reading Uncanny X-Men 242, X-Factor number 38, Spectacular Spider-Man number 148, and Uncanny X-Men 243. That's right. Uh, So it kind of calls back to your roots of the X-Men, David, with a little bit of Spider-Man sprinkled in there
1: yeah i i'm super excited about it and so i love that i love that opportunity to be to really talk about this stuff especially this this era of spider-man
0: very good so we're gonna go and take a quick break and we'll be right back with uncanny x-men number 242 right after these messages
1: after these messages we'll be right back
2: hey kids comics it was the dawn of a new age of comic book podcasting Hey Kids Comics was a dream given form, a
1: place where two generations of comic book fans could work out their differences, peaceably. It was a humorous place, where nothing was sacrosanct, and it was our last, best hope
2: for joy. But all things end. But from endings can come new beginnings. This is the return of a comic book podcast. The year is 2023. The name of the show is Hey Kids Comics. Michael and Andrew are back with an all new look at old comics and all old looks at new comics. You can go home again. Hey Kid Comics, monthly from Two True Freaks and wherever you get your comics related podcasts. Hey Kids
0: Comics! Spider-Man.
2: This is Web Spinning Spider-Man with Fly Away Action Pack. Assembly required. Load the web spinning fluid and squeeze. Web Spinning Spider-Man.
0: Small webs, big webs. Spider-Man webs are catching webs. Webs around fingers, webs around legs. Webs, webs, web spinning Spider-Man. Web Spinning Spider-Man with Fly Away Action Pack and Web Spinning Fluid by Mego. Welcome back, to Believers. Our first issue is Uncanny X-Men number 242. Right on this one is Chris Claremont. Mark Servestry is our penciler. Dan Green, the late Dan Green, he just passed, I believe, is our inker. Glynis Oliver is our colorist. Tom Orgachowski is our letterer. Bob Harris is our editor. And Tom DeValco is editor-in-chief. So our issue begins with Wolverine giving Jean Grey a big old smack on the lips. And while the rest of the X-Men and X-Factor look on. But not for long, because very quickly a fight erupts between X-Factor and the X-Men. And there's a whole thing here about the X-Men being pissed at X-Factor for being mutant hunters. And X-Factor being pissed at the X-Men for, you know, thinking they were dead and all. Cyclops tries to come to the aid of Madeline, but she turns him away. And Havoc basically try almost the blasting way. And then that steer shows up, and it's revealed that Madeline is the goblin queen when a big old demon chariot swoops in and takes her away. And gosh, you gotta love a good demon chariot in a combo, guys. It's it's real, real demon coach, yeah. Real good thing in there. And so a demon is at first, of course, Cyclops is given a choice, he can save Jean or he can save Madeline, and he chooses Jean, just proving Madeline's suspicious about him right. She doesn't really get captured by the coach. She's being taken away to meet with Nastir. Havoc tries to hop along to save her, gets dragged along, his clothes ripped off, and he is revealed to be the Goblin Prince. Which, it's, it's somewhat amusing watching the same costume that Madeline is wearing put on Havoc. I gotta say. And so... Meanwhile, Colossus is watching all this, seemingly the only X-Men uncorrupted by the powers of Inferno, and he scales the side of the Empire State Building by himself. And I'll talk more about how much I love Colossus in this crossover. There's more fighty fight between the X-Men and X-Factor before Storm sees Jean, and just when you think they're going to have a big fighty fight with each other, they embrace, because, you know, the power of friendship is more you know, stronger than even the powers of Inferno. The X-Men and X-Factor then team up and are able to take out Nastir through some various ways, including some fun power canceling and possibly the greatest fastball special in history. Like, it is pretty great. We can talk about that in any discussion. And the X-Men are quickly realized, though, hey, wait a minute. Even though we've defeated Nastir, this whole Inferno thing hasn't undone itself. And that's because Madeline is still the Goblin Queen, and she's about to kick some ass. It's this is a this is a fun comic, guys. It does not lie about being a double-sized issue.
2: No, and I think this is a more successful double-sized issue than some of the others that we've had during this event.
0: Yeah, see Avengers 300. No no offense, David, and I, I know you like the issue. <laughs> But
2: uh, I, w- I was thinking of was, was it the new mutants that we had last time that just felt like two or three issues just sort of shoved together? Yeah, it, it dragged a bit. Either two or three issues shoved together
0: or one issue that had a story extended so it could be a double page right, issue. Right.
1: Th- this doesn't feel like that. I was just wowed by the Avengers 300 takedown because <laughs> Avengers 300 has that reprint of Avengers number one along with the the entire roster of the avengers during that time period i'm just i i mean i thought avengers 300 was was worth a worthy double-sized issue because <laughs> <laughs> celebrated the avengers whereas i found this story to be a, a lot i mean yeah. uh, it's a lot a lot you know like yes just the pathos of all of it like i don't even think we got to the part yet where where we have mentioned that alex had slept with like does scott know that alex had slept with madeline
0: no we're not there At yet this that's point, the, no
1: no right so i mean like it's just just not it's just oh man x-men are weird they're a weird group <laughs> i mean that's what that's what chris Claremont did best though the soap opera yes yes but man just don't sleep with us don't sleep with your brother's ex-wife. Not even ex-wife. They're not see- even divorced. They're still married. Right. right. Don't sleep with,
0: with your brother's ex-wife, who is a clone of his former lover, who's possessed by demons.
2: Right. Oh, it is
0: a soap opera.
2: Yeah, right. it's rough, He's man. He's only cheating on Madeline because he thought she was dead.
0: Right. Oh, but th- don't worry. Later, he's going to fight his girlfriend who's also possessed by an by a evil entity
1: so you know yeah it's this is a this is it's it's a lot it's a lot because what we're really
2: getting is it this is two different soap operas that are having an incursion event on each other right
0: (laughs) (laughs) at least the new mutants didn't show up
1: Yeah, I i did feel like this issue does have a lot of like Really good moments. I mean, it still shows that like Claire, Wolverine is still and Colossus are still kind of like the favorites. But i I really enjoyed the I really enjoyed the issue for what it is. But narratively, you forget like how much how how filled with pathos this is. Like somebody's <laughs> channeling some really dark dark therapy moments.
0: Yeah, Whoever's Claremont's therapist was gets paid double
2: every single story beat is like heightened far more so than it would be in any other comic.
0: Right. There's a scene here where storm realizes that she has to attack the empire state building. And she does that by flashing back to a, to a scene with forge like 20 issues before that almost could not be more separated from the events we're looking at here. But Claremont makes a connection there. It'd be like, here, go back and look at my greatest
1: hits. Right. Yep. So, yeah, so it's a it's it is it is a lot.
0: And I, I will say, like I said, in the, in the thing, the fastball special we get in this because like one of the most
2: elaborate versions of it ever.
0: Yes, because not only does Wolverine get launched, but Colossus gets launched, too. Right, right.
2: Like he is pushed by Cyclops's optic blast. And which gives him the initial thrust, and then Storm redirects him with her winds. As Archangel well, Death at this point, or Dark Angel, I guess he's calling himself, throws Wolverine on an intercept course. It's it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it is a lot. It is a <laughs> lot. and did they're not even done there because this is just a whole our
0: powers combined situation i am genuinely surprised that captain planet did not show up here
1: (laughs) yeah captain planet wasn't a thing yet right that's true he hadn't ripped off colossus's look yet (laughs) right Do, do 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 but no i mean i i do find that i do find that inferno is one of my I'm not saying one of my least favorite events, but it is so I didn't say it's one of my least favorite events. I am just saying that it is enormously complicated in terms of trying to make sense of, of all the little uh, intricacies uh, and nuances of like all these events had to come together perfectly in order for like Sim and uh, what is it? Nistair. Is that how you say it? yeah, Nistair. Like nasty, they call
2: him nasty at one point. Yeah, Rogue yeah, does, yeah, that exactly.
1: does a nice one. right? So, all the events between Steer, Sim, Madeline Pryor, and Mr. Sinister all had to coalesce uh, in such a weirdly unique way in order for this event to become the, like I said, the the breaking point that it became. And, and like,
2: not not just that, but as we'll get to in other issues. The decisions by the embodiment of the Phoenix Force on top of all of that.
0: Yes, God, exactly. oh, <laughs> oh. Oh, this is hurting my
1: brain. This <laughs> is this is what I'm saying. You know, all
0: subplots uh, will be accounted for Are die right. trying.
1: Whether they came from Claremont Byrne or somewhere in between. Or Busiek, because right? Busiek right? came up with the return of Jean Grey. Mm. And, not to put too fine a point on it, Oh, uh, you know, we're not, we're not to that issue yet, but I do, f- I, there is one character I think that ultimately I wish I would have seen more of, we'll get to it when we get to it, but uh, I'm, okay. I'm excited. So, so sure. like,
0: we, we talk about how complicated this was, and it's just Claremont, like, Claremont patting Claremont on the back, that's a nice way of putting it, um, and showing how clever Claremont was, and the funny nice. thing is, in the Excalibur issues we talked about last time, with chad he makes fun of this crossover and says look i could have done this entire crossover in two issues right
1: i just oh my god okay so i i do want to actually get get to it because if i don't i'll forget one of the things that used to drive me crazy for the longest time and has since been debunked as coincidence i guess is that madeline pryor married scott summers Madeline Pryor made an appearance in Avengers Annual 10 as a little girl. Oh. And so for a long time in fan circles, there was like that Madeline Pryor was genetically aged up to Mary Scott by Mister Sinister. I'd read that somewhere, but whatever. But Madeline Pryor makes her first appearance in Avengers Annual 10. Madeline Pryor is actually named after a musician in real life. So there's a folk musician called Madeline Pryor. So- It's so interesting that Chris Clement was a fan of her, wrote her in twice into the X-Men universe, once in Avengers Annual 10, where a little girl says, hi, my name's Madeline Pryor. And then years later, Madeline Pryor, again, married Scott Summers and becomes a major character within the X-Men franchise. Did he just forget he'd already named a character Madeline Pryor? he likes to recycle names. Like, for example, Jubilee was actually a name and power set he had used. In an issue of New Mutants, uh, in the New Mutants Annual, like a year earlier with Alan Davis.
2: And the little girl version, it looks like in that issue, is only ever called Maddie instead of Madeline. Yes, yes. But Maddie But clearly Pryor. Maddie is the diminutive. It's the right. same name.
1: Right. Maddie Pride. Anyway, it's just some weird feedback stuff about how creepy this doubly gets for me in thinking about all the complications of the whole thing.
2: Claremont. <laughs> and not just that, but this is an issue that we're not going to be getting to in our Inferno coverage, but in X-Men 238, which I don't think we covered, did we? God, I can't remember. We've covered it. It's no, we trade. started we started with 239. Had we started one issue earlier, we would have seen Madeline manifest a child version of herself, which would have looked like the Maddie from the Avengers annual. I think I did
0: read that because I had to read like 20 issues of X Men. Oh, to catch up. Th- to see what was freaking going on in this crossover tray. Oh, you did homework? I
2: didn't do homework.
0: I did homework. <laughs> I, I, I'm the high school AP teacher. Of course, I assigned homework for myself. <laughs> but yes,
2: so <laughs> in, in that 238 issue, Claremont sort of makes a joke of the, the reuse
1: of the name. Right. Yeah. Oh, he makes a Joseph. He does. Okay, I didn't know that, but But, that is uh,
2: in 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 that that when when Madeline sort of projects the child version of herself, it looks like the character from. Right. Got it.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. Anyway, it drives me absolutely crazy. I can't think of Madeline Pryor because I read Avengers Annual 10 before I really started. to. I was more an Avengers kid than an X-Men kid. So I'd read that issue before I had read Inferno, really. And so some of the stuff is kind of weird and always throws me. It is. Yeah.
2: Well, everything involving Madeline Pryor is weird and potentially confusing.
1: Yeah, I
0: have questions. I have so many questions. But let's see if any of them are answered in our next comic. That's yours, Trey. You get X-Factor.
2: Right. So this is X-Factor number 38. It is another giant-sized spectacular this is written by Louis simonson drawn by walt simonson inks by al milgram letters by joe rosen the colorist is tom vincent the editor bob harris editor-in-chief Defalco, and Nastir is seemingly defeated but the goblin queen and her goblin prince are still essentially claiming victory at this point high above where the x-men and x-factor are trying to figure out why inferno isn't over yet Jean Grey is in magical shackles and Madeline promises vengeance and destruction and the death of Scott's son. So we have Colossus, Wolverine, Storm, Rogue, Psylocke, Longshot, Dazzler, Cyclops, Iceman, Dark Angel, and East, Ground Below. And initially things are very talky. Madeline sort of does the villain monologue thing here going through a lot of stuff that we kind of already know. That me and Scott were married, that from her point of view, Scott abandoned her, that that Jean stole him away, and that she has sort of been left to fend for herself ever since. And that feeling of abandonment has been made exponentially worse by the discovery that she is not even her own person, but is in fact an imperfect clone of Jean Grey. And so... Scott begs for her I
1: just want to put, not to put too fine a point on it, she is literally the hotter version of Jean Grey because she is from Inferno
2: I mean, that's fair,
0: that's fair You know, I I was gonna make a joke that, dear God, Trey, this is somebody's first issue, but I just realized it's our friend Chad's first issue
2: (laughs) Yes, it is He he told us that Uh, The best thing about Madeline Pryor in Inferno, I'll just go ahead and editorialize this here, is that Chris Claremont stopped and said, remember when we did Dark Phoenix with the Hellfire Club? What if we did that look again?
1: (laughs) Also keep in mind, this is like right after Labyrinth. So everyone's got a very David Bowie-esque Goblin King. I mean, Goblin King, Goblin Queen, Goblin Prince. Kind of look and feel to them. So it feels like the X-Men meets uh, the Henson Muppets.
2: Very much so. And... And depending on the book, sometimes the goblins kind of have that vibe, too.
0: See, now I'm imagining um, Wolverine for Massive Ah. Codpiece, except
2: the (laughs) Codpiece has claws. Oh, my. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so uh, Madeline summons the... So most of the demons have left because Nestir was destroyed, but the demons that serve Madeline are still there, and they are still bringing her babies because she is still planning to do this whole sacrifice of, uh, of... their son, one to punish Scott, and two to enact essentially Hell on Earth. Basically your basic Uh, Lifetime movie. Sure, sure. And when the two teams try to attack, Longshot's tainted luck powers, because the the effects of Inferno have messed up his his powers, give the entire group bad luck. Everyone's sort of falling into each other, bumping into each other. The demons are getting the upper hand. The two groups start fighting each other again. Cyclops and Storm are fighting. The X-Men keep insisting that X-Factor are mutant hunters, which is a thing that hasn't been true in X-Factor even as a cover story for a while now. Yeah, Um, we
0: get an explanation for that, which is, okay, sure. Right, right.
2: But at this point they all believe that X-Factor are what the news had been saying they were a while ago. A cheap X-cashin. Right, right. And... Storm realizes that the reason that that's what they thought X Factor was was that Madeline Pryor was the one who was like providing information from the media to them, so monitoring the news feeds, and, and sort of was their, their information funnel, essentially. And so Madeline deliberately kept information that would bring them together with X Factor away. She didn't want Scott to be reunited with the X men This sort of cools down most of the, the inter team fighting. Cyclops tries to attack Madeline, but Madeline psychically pulls in the demonically transformed father of Jean Grey. Remember that that's a thing? Jean Grey's parents are demons. One of them gets pulled into the blast. Luckily, it's not a killing blow. Storm attempts to attack as well. A similar thing happens. And then Madeline is able to persuade Dazzler and Longshot, who are still the most tainted by Inferno at this point. (laughs) That they Close can 80s. be the star. Right. That they can be the stars of the battle. Literally with magical spotlights following them wherever they go. And that's enough to make them join her side temporarily. And they begin attacking attacking X-Men and X Factor. She also breaks Dark Angel's resolve, and he starts mutating into a more demonic version of himself. And she sends more demons after everybody. She puts brother against brother, so Havoc starts attacking Cyclops. Of course, their powers don't work on each other, so that's kind of a dumb thing to do, but that's what she does. So so they have to resort to fighting hand-to-hand, because they can't use their powers. Um, Meanwhile, Longshot and Dazzler also attack Cyclops, but Storm is able to blow them all away. Um, Dark Angel, uh, despite his physical transformation, uh, is able to regain his composure and he uses his wings to cut uh, Gene free from Madeline Pryor's control, which also somehow frees Wolverine from his influence from the Inferno effect. And eventually, basically everyone except for Dazzler, Longshot, and Havoc are more or less free of the spell. And Havoc gets knocked out. Gene shakes free. What's that?
0: (laughs) Sorry, sorry. That's it. I get knocked down, but I go again. okay. Fine.
2: <laughs> this is uh, Womba
1: reference. Yes, yes.
2: <laughs> and that was a cha- and that was a charity lap, laugh, children. <laughs> and Jean and the Goblin Queen end up in kind of mental combat. They're they're literally in each other's heads, and so a force field appears surrounding the two of them and the baby, so no one can get in. And as they're locked in this mental duel. Madeline starts revealing all of this stuff about herself to Jean and filling in some gaps and retconning some things to, to streamline a lot of the stuff that's happened with Madeline and Jean basically since X-Factor started. So we find out about Madeline being a clone created by Mr. Sinister. We find out that after the the Phoenix force that had taken Jean's place on the X-Men sacrificed itself that a part of it tried to return to Earth to merge with Gene in her artificial cocoon, but that Gene rejected it because of her experience with Phoenix previously, and that that rejected Phoenix Force then went to Madeline because one genetic duplicate is as good as another. And that that is essentially what awakened some of these powers in, in Madeline was the presence of that shard of the Phoenix Force. Uh, and that's also why she has some of Jean's memories because the Phoenix force had copied all of them outside X, the X-Men and X-Factor try to work together to find a weak spot in the, in the bubble that's surrounding them. They managed to get Dazzler to shake off some of the effects of Inferno, or at least to be more jealous of Madeline than they are, than she is of the X-Men. And so she signs on havoc agrees to help as well. Not because he wants to help his brother, but because he wants to get in and save Madeline. But what really sort of turns the tide in terms of them getting in is Longshot, who up to this point has been sort of holding back because his powers had been tainted. But Psylocke manages to convince him that he still has his good luck powers, if he just sort of willingly uses them for good. And he's able to toss one of his daggers to pinpoint the exact spot that everyone else should fire. And so all of both all the members of both teams have projectile attacks, target the same spot all at once, and it blows the, the force field away. Madeline tries to sort of commit a murder-suicide for herself and Jean, while also throwing the baby into the air, forcing Cyclops to dive for him. But in all of this chaos, Jean is able to mentally overpower Madeline, and she decides that the only way to end this battle is to absorb the rest of the Phoenix force that's in Madeline prior. And so Jean absorbs that shard of the Phoenix force in turn, taking in all of Madeline's memories and experiences, making Jean a complete person again, but Madeline dies in the process. The battle ends. Jean goes to Scott who is both happy to have saved his son but is mourning the death of a wife that he didn't know was still alive. And somehow, even though Madeline Pryor is dead, the effects of Inferno have not yet worn off. The X-Men haven't been restored to normal. And so everyone's a little unsure what's going to happen next. Alex is still mad at Scott because of the way he treated Madeline. That if he could go back and do it again, he would still join her which probably isn't the vibe to bring after the fight, but whatever.
0: No, no. Um, no.
2: And both teams sort of rally around the realization that the real villain at this point is Mr. Sinister, and he's the person they need to go after next. And somehow
0: Palpatine returns.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's only if you were playing the Fortnite spinoff.
0: Oh, God, can you imagine if Fortnite had been around when Inferno was going
1: on? Oh, So I want to talk about this issue in a couple of meaningful ways. Okay. One, it should be Mr. Sinister. It should rhyme. <laughs> it should be like Mr. Mister. Like Mr. Sister. <laughs> it should rhyme. And I'm really, I'm always mad that it doesn't. Like, I know they're trying to go for assnance, but but it just doesn't work. It should be Minister Sinister. I like that. Rather than Mr. Sinister, Mr. Sinister just is dumb. It's just dumb. It's always been dumb. Minister Sinister would have been the way to go. Secondly, I want to reiterate how much this is Jim Henson's labyrinth. They're literally fighting <laughs> over a baby. Yes, yes, they are. You're literally like, you remind me of the babe. And then it's literally what, what babe? babe? The babe with the power. Like, literally, down to, I mean, down to what we're wearing, the demons, but literally they're fighting over a baby. A baby, who, by the way, I think the only reason Gene and the X Men survive Inferno in my headcanon is that Cable went back in time and was using his psychic powers to manipulate. Because this baby is Cable. Yes. 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 They're fighting over Cable. Yeah. He's a time traveler. X Men I, I really, so I really want the like
2: Inferno minus one issue that shows <laughs> cable behind the scenes
1: that's what i'm saying if mr <laughs> sinister can go behind the scenes and somehow work with the high evolutionary in the Path, it doesn't matter like it, the way all this stuff is sort of weirdly retconned is it, i always find disturbing so Mister sinister bugs me the whole thing about this this is cable they're fighting over cable thirdly the coolest thing about Jean Grey is this is my favorite era of Jean Grey, which sounds super weird, but I love the idea that Jean Grey is now every version of of Scott's exes. Yes, it's literally <laughs> yes. the ghost of girlfriend's past. So literally, he is he is literally dating his his first girlfriend, his ex wife, and his his girlfriend scorned. Yep. He is literally, so at any given point, they have different powers. And that to me is a very interesting thing because Jean is literally the gray. She is literally, you know, you have, you have like the bright light white of the Phoenix and you have the dark of the, the dark of the goblin queen, but Jean gray is kind of in the middle. And I liked that shades of gray of Jean gray aspect of her. It doesn't last very long. Maybe 10 more issues after this through X factor, whatever. But yeah, I and I, no, mean, I, think, I, I guess it.
2: they they probably were concerned that it would be a little too much like what they had just done with Rogue.
1: Ro- yeah, but Rogue didn't have three different personalities. Rogue was no, just it was, like it was just
2: the, the Carol Danvers. Yeah.
1: I just read this is totally an aside. I just read one of the best uh Carol Danvers stories of all time today that I had never knew existed until today which was when Carol Danvers finds out that Captain Marvel died of cancer. Oh, it was in a, I didn't it know It was in Marvel Fanfare number 24, and it was reprinted later, but I was reading Marvel Fanfare because I got a bunch of them because th- there's an issue with Alpha Flight in it. And <laughs> uh,
0: so I that. I wonder why that, you're like, reading
1: that. No, reading I, that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And I was reading that, but in the back of that issue was like, hey, this binary story was like, really fantastic. I was like, what binary story was in Marvel fanfare? And the first part of the story is a weird world story. So you wouldn't even think anything of it, but literally it's Carol Danvers meets uh, Monica for the first time. And then at the same time, Carol simultaneously finds out that captain Marvel is dead. Marvel is dead and it's amazing. So Marvel wow. fanfare is 24, but uh, I, uh, it's so good. It's so good. It was just and Marvel Fanfare was this prestige comic format and ran for I don't know a hundred issues or whatever, sure. but um, so good and really just top notch in terms of, of how it portrayed the stuff. I loved seeing Carol showing up intermittently in X Men when you know, like she took over Rogue. Right. I loved Carol. I loved Carol then. She was my favorite at the time.
2: I honestly having. A lot of Inferno I'd never read until we did this series. I was expecting more of that in the X-Men issues. It, it only comes up really in the first one or two that we covered. And then Rogue is just the dominant
1: personality. Right. Yep. But we also got her as Carol so much in Genosha. So in Genosha, I think she's Carol the whole time. And
0: honestly, it's, it's, it's Chris Claremont. He has never met a strong female character he hasn't wanted to adopt. And care for and shelter right. and put in <laughs> every comic he's ever worked on
1: right I, I don't know about that, but he definitely has his favorites between storm, Phoenix, Carol, magic. he definitely leans in towards a a certain type of a certain type of character, yeah, yeah but but uh, we got a little derailed anyway, those are the three things Carol cable baby. Gene as the multiple, yeah, we covered everything. But man, this is literally Chris Claremont and his team watching the labyrinth, fighting over a baby, swapping Madeline for David, uh, swapping David Bowie for Madeline, being like, "This is our story. Enjoy." Now, yeah,
2: that said, I love the the Walt Simonson art
1: Uh, Walt Simonson's fantastic. I mean, this book is fantastic. I love watching that fight between Madeline and Gene. I think it's really great. I was, I, saw, I was at an interview once with Walt. It was like a special symposium lecture thing with Walt, Joe Quesada, wow. and somebody else who I'm forgetting horribly. But Walt said I, he, was, he knew that he would never be a great draftsman, but he always knew that he would be a great storyteller. And the storytelling in this about how he lays out the pages, the pacing of the characters, the blocking their movement. All of that stuff is just so on point here.
0: There is a scene in here, and, and, and I think you saw me ranting and raving on mute during Trace' <laughs> summary about it. There's a scene where the Phoenix shows up, mm-hmm. yes. not just a flashback of the Phoenix, the actual like Phoenix yes. force shows up. And I want to hate it so goddamn much because, of course, the fucking Phoenix shows up. But Simonson's panel layout for it
2: is yeah. so good. Well, there's a page where the top third, I'd say, is the Phoenix Force merging with Jean Grey as she is absorbing Madeline's memories being whatever. And then the bottom, the rest of the page, the panels are like radiating out from that as though the explosion is sort of pushing those images in various directions. It's great.
1: Right. I love it. I thought it was really well, really just well, totally well done. The only thing I would have done is make them phoenix feathers or yellow a bit to kind of mm-hmm. pull that out a bit That'd more. Nice. But I thought that the effect was perfect.
0: I could easily see like a recoloring doing that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I just sort of laying a filter over those panels. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. So that is amazing. I'm so glad we talked about the issue. But yeah, it's definitely a, it's a hell of a thing.
2: It is. And and uh, another thing I appreciate about it is even though it is in di- like it directly continues from the previous issue, there is a little bit of awareness that this is a different title. There are some people who maybe didn't pick up the previous issue of X-Men, and so there's enough exposition through dialogue and captions that you can sort of pick up the gist of what's going on as long as you know generally what Inferno is about.
0: Right. But this is it, Trey, right? Inferno's over. The, the our, well, our is,
2: wait wait we're not done. Oh well, first we've got a detour to see what's going on with some some Spider-Man characters.
1: Right. Well, yeah. so in this episode of Electric Company, Spider-Man doesn't say. <laughs> and oh, sorry, that was my. I would love story. to see
2: the version of this where Morgan Freeman shows up. Yeah. Oh
0: man. <laughs> yep. So let's let's go into a quick break, and we'll be right back with. Spectacular Spider-Man number 148 right after these messages. Drama. Lust. Snark. Comedy. Heartbreak. Creativity. Poetry. Illicit affairs. Rage. Revenge. Testosterone poisoning. Gunshots, sculpture, feminine hygiene products, naked car crashes.
1: You know what we haven't had in a long time?
0: And liver. Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise, the audio adaptation coming to your ear holes in late 2020 on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Liver is my life.
1: creator of the Muppets and George Lucas, creator of Star Wars take you on a dazzling adventure. (laughs) There's nothing to be afraid of.
0: Turn back, Sarah, before it's too late. She must be
1: stopped. Labyrinth, rated PG. Starts Friday at a specially selected theater near you. All right, so this is spectacular Spider-Man 148, and I could come in and start singing the Electric Company theme song or humming bars from the live-action Spider-Man TV show with Nicholas Hammond or even doing, like, a riff on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. No, instead, I'm going to give you my narrative about how lightning is burning through the night, a storm savage New York City, the ground rips open and the grave of Ned leaves, tears, through the ground, his corpse calls out to his wife, Betty Brandt, to join him in the grave. Joining in this choir and this cacophony are the corpse of Gwen Stacy surprisingly Spider-Man, although he's not dead. But it's just a nightmare. A hallucination by Betty Brandt, who has left the stove, the gas stove, on while she drifted off into space, which may or may not have contributed to her lightheadedness and her screaming. But she's quickly tended to by Flash Thompson who is alerted by her screams and he runs out and he assures Betty that everything's going to be okay and that it's all right and nothing's wrong with her he turns off the knob on the stove nothing's wrong with her she's going to be safe she's going to be okay he goes into the living room and you know makes sure he settles Betty he says you know thank you so much for letting me stay here and crash with you while I try to get back on my feet Life for me has been—he's been really, really crazy. Everything around New York City right now is burning. You can hear weird, random laughter and weird, random screams. But it, you know, it, it's okay, we, Betty. You and I—we're going to be safe. We're going to be safe and sound. We've got each other. We're friends, and you know, the heroes in the city are going to save us from whatever is happening outside. It's just you and I. We have nothing to fear. Somebody's going to save us from this madness. Well, strangely enough, just outside, these gnarly demons are growling, listening, and smelling the fear in Flash's words. They're ready to devour and embody the terror within the hearts of Betty and Flash. So they sort of shapeshift and mangle their bodies and morph. As Flash goes upstairs to deal with some stuff, he goes onto the roof to board it up from all the craziness and all the weird, tempestuous energy that is outside. He's confronted by Spider-Man, unaware that Spider-Man is an imposter and, in fact, a demon. This Spider-Man tortures and endlessly mocks, humiliates Flash Thompson. Flash, once a bully himself, is now being subjected to horrible, uh, brutal humiliation as he is verbally castrated by this arachnoid hero that was once his friend he, was, he even pleads Spider-Man what are you doing to me you were my hero now meanwhile Betty is undergoing the same sort of psychological torment from the corpse of her husband once thought to be the Hobgoblin Ned Leeds was a kind and devoted husband to Betty Brandt and now she is being tormented by him. Betty pleads for this demon to stop posing as Ned. She knows in her heart that Ned is dead. But eventually, the demon sort of gives up his roof. And he decides to expose himself for the ghoulish monster that he truly is. Betty, a little relieved that she's not going insane. You know, she starts to fight the monster and and pleads with him again to just leave, leave. And upstairs, Flash and the demon are having it out. And Flash finds the courage of his convictions to escape the the trap that this sinister Spider-Man clone has put him in. He rallies and pushes the demon into the other room, finding the, the emotional wherewithal. Flash and Betty scare the demons off and the demons sort of run away. Flash and Betty realized to themselves that they were the heroes that they were looking for this entire time. As the night descends and the sun comes up, they walk hand in hand onto the clean, sovereign streets of New York City.
2: So, normally, this is the part where I'd complain about a Spider Man comic that doesn't really have Spider Man in it, but I think this is a lovely tie in issue.
0: Really nice. Really, it's almost like Marvel's in a way where you're looking at. This huge, super complicated crossover, but just one little story in it from like the common man point of view. And it it's really nice.
2: But it also is the closest that any of the Spider-Man issues come to being sort of like the Daredevil tie-ins in terms of capturing something of the effect of Inferno on regular people on the ground.
1: Right. And I think that only in I think later, maybe it was in Avengers. Backup, I think, later in an Avengers backup, I believe, there was a Blues Brothers-like Inferno crossover where they come in and government officials are like, yeah, we're just going to view Inferno as a giant mass New York mass hysteria hallucination thing caused by swamp gas. Am I making that up? I, I don't feel like I am. Do you guys remember that? No, I'll uh, read it now. Sounds interesting. Expect annual Four. The Blues Brothers is written by Mark Grunewald and uh, James Fern and Joseph Rubenstein and the Blues Brothers literally come in and interview a bunch of people. in the, the aftermath of Inferno is being investigated by the Blues Brothers. Don't ask why, but they appeared in Mark Grunewald's Captain America before that as FBI agents. So uh, they interview a bunch of different people to find out what is happening in, in Marvel and to figure out why people are really seeing demons. And oddly enough, X Factor Piers, and Gilcomesh from the Avengers.
0: Oh shit, Trey! We covered this issue later on. We covered this issue next. I think our last episode.
1: I'm, what X Factor Annual Four?
0: Yep. Yeah,
1: it's uh, back up. In yeah, next-
2: it. It's part of our wrap up episode. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. So
1: then I don't want to. Yeah. So yeah, at the end, it's our not. Yeah, Demon Knight caused by Hypno Ray is <laughs> the is how they sort of blank it up. But anyway. Was it cute? Yes, in in that it does exactly what Marvel comics need to do. Is that Marvel characters in general do not believe in magic and the supernatural, and it it's sort of like oh yeah, you know, like Galactus in Marvel comics isn't a giant space god; he's just a weird supervillain, right? Right. Do you know what I mean? Superman isn't really Superman; he's really a Superman is. I mean, not Superman. Thor isn't really Thor; he isn't really a space god; he's really just a dude who uses high-tech powers like Iron Man, you know, right. It's all made up
2: at most. He's maybe a mutant like storm. Exactly.
0: I think Reed Richards once said magic, isn't real. It's just science. We don't understand yet.
1: Right. And, but she's still from Clark.
2: Yeah. Arthur C. Clark. Right. right. And, and then eventually MCU Thor stole it from.
1: <laughs> Damn those guys. Anyway, that's an aside.
2: <laughs> we they never do this here.
1: Yeah. We're talking about telling the story from the inferno from the civilians point of view. X Factor yeah. Four does cover that.
2: It's... I also always liked Flash and Betty
1: together.
0: Yeah. Is there anybody Flash Thompson has not dated in the MCU or Peter Parker's supporting cast at this point?
1: He didn't. I don't think he dated Pete.
0: Right. Uh, I don't know. Some of those drunken college parties. <laughs> or Ned.
1: <laughs> or Silver Sable.
0: Give somebody enough time, it'll be a, it'll be a annual backup. Right. Um, did he
1: date? Did he date Gwen?
0: He tried to.
1: They flirted. Yeah, he date, He didn't date. Did he date Angelica Jones?
0: I don't know because so. she wasn't really in the comics themselves. And right. to right. more recent stuff, where people have brought it, where you know people who grow up on that show like you have brought Angelica into the uh, Spider-Man supporting cast, where she has always belonged. Apparently,
2: she has. And uh, well, you've got you've got sort of retcon characters like Silk, who sort of added in after the fact that, that right. we've never really seen him with
0: you know what it's weird here they never mentioned that flash thompson has a service record in this issue no
2: no which would at least give him basic hand-to-hand combat experience and stuff right yeah. and it's this
0: this raised so many questions for me because like does flash thompson know that peter parker is spider-man at this point no no he doesn't because he bonded with the venom symbiote and the symbiote knew but then that got wiped out by Mephisto right yeah, but that was much... That's I mean, all that's later.
1: 20 years, 20 years later.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, now, now, like Flash Thompson, does he
1: know that Peter Parker is Fireman? Probably. Because no, Flash well, Thompson. No, dead. Oh, like, well, yes. Dead. Now he, but did he come back? At one point he came back, I thought. I'm going to tell you, because okay. I'm going to look it up. Did he come back? <laughs> <laughs> did he come back and came back in the cane black? Flash Maybe? Where his body had been buried and reanimated himself, bursting from the... What? Wait, what?
0: <laughs> oh yeah! From what I understand, the King of Black is actually really
2: good. Yeah, well, yeah. to
1: the cemetery where. Okay, I, I think he's
2: I he's to... back to being anti Venom. Is he anti Venom? And his son maybe is Venom now. No, no, um, Eddie Brock son. Oh no, you're is right. Venom Eddie now. Brock. Eddie Brock's son is Venom. That's right. But yeah, That's... I think I think he's
0: Agent Anti Venom because Eddie Brock is absolutely the kind of guy who have been a deadbeat dad.
1: Well, it's really, and Venom would uh, encourage that. I I I have a I man I have so much more to say about parenting and weird <laughs> things. Yes, you flash just now, Agent Anti Venom. That's true. I just learned this today. Uh, Agent Anti Venom. Yeah, that is Chris, the things you learn in reading comic books. No, oh, no, no. Wait. Extreme Car- Agent Anti Venom Poison Invasion Rise of the Red Goblin, which I knew about. He died in that post mortem. Savage Avengers.
2: I think the last thing I saw him in was Savage Avengers because he was there the last back when time... Marvel,
1: when Marvel right. still had Conan. Right. I hear, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know why you put a talk show host on the Avengers, but, you know, better than <laughs> Letterman.
2: I'd read it. Absolutely. It
0: was better than with Letterman. The time that Letterman was on the Avengers. Right. Better,
1: <laughs> that actually, actually
0: happened, listeners. Check it out. Great issue.
1: Right. Contact by Liz Out. Okay. I don't need to know about Flash Thompson, but Conan is in those stories and they're weird.
0: Well, you know everything ties together now. I think I think now it's officially con- canon that like Mister Sinister helped fund Professor Warren's experiments with cloning. You know,
1: no, and I don't like it. I just don't like <laughs> it. The same thing with the same thing with how Mister Sinister Minister Sinister. Let's just go Minister Minister uh, Sinister. That'll be the min- episode title. Ms. Minister Sinister. Uh, Minister Sinister how he created the helped create the high evolutionary and the high evolutionary helped create Jessica drew and, and you know, like, Oh, it goes back to apocalypse. And I just, you know, it's and apocalypse had a feud with Dracula for, for centuries. My, my friend wrote that story, apocalypse versus Dracula. Uh, I kid you not. So and my own grandpa, right. (laughs) <laughs> so at a certain point when it becomes that because it used to be that you could just read the stories and su- superheroes would have their own supporting casts that were not people who had powers and I really appreciate that in the story you know you don't need superpowers to make a difference in the world and that's what mm-hmm. Flash and Betty have done here is that they've been able to be stalwarts for each other and heroes and find the heroism and the bravery and the courage to to fight for themselves and i think all that stuff's really important and that to me is is where a uh, comic really comes together well
0: betty Brandt, one of the few supporting cast characters from spider-man not to get superpowers ever uh, un- no. unless you count that what if issue shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> well which means um, she will get superpowers within like the next five to ten years
2: yep give because dan slot might... time he'll figure out a way
1: um, love you dan slot but, no, I think that it's I think what's interesting about this issue is is exactly what we're talking about is that here is Spider-Man supporting cast is normal people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Batman supporting cast has now become other superheroes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Spider-Man supporting cast has become other superheroes. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, that's kind of cool because I do love seeing other superheroes. But when I'm reading a book about Iron Man, I want it to be about Iron Man and how Iron Man deals with his stuff. I think it's really important. I think critically, it's really important for superheroes to have secret identities because in a secret identity, you have access to resources you don't have in your other identity. And I think that that's kind of, uh, that duality is really important in sort of driving stories forward. My relationship with my Dad is different than my relationship with my boss, and yeah, and you know, so having a secret identity sort of creates that opportunity to really explore these sorts of things. Is like who you are, the masks we wear in different situations, literally and figuratively. I think that's really important. And when you, when everyone in your supporting cast has superpowers, it might sound ideal, but it it doesn't really give. A really great perspective into how you're able to make your stories work in in a way that fills them with dramatic personal impact you know david
0: david i think you're being too harsh here it's not like you know they're setting up for this huge personal loss for peter and like they spend a year teasing it and it's definitely gonna be a member of supporting cast, and it turns out to be a character he's barely related to, just to set up a tie-in with a massive media franchise that already retconned the character. That would never happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the cover here, <laughs> yeah, is really great. Cover it turns yes. the creep factor up to eleven.
2: It's right. very classic horror movie. I mean they're they're playing off Night of the Living Dead with the title. It's very spooky. Yeah, and like it's like the scene
0: where Ned shows up at the door and is like, Hi honey, what's for dinner? Just gives me creep show.
1: Right. Well, and the pencils here are just really, I mean, really out of sight. I mean, I think that the level of storytelling here is great and you really can't go wrong. No. And I think that if I remember correctly, Inferno hit towards the September, October, November of eighty-eight time period mm-hmm. you know that so this right. is the you know so this is really hitting with a lot of the really cool thanksgiving really i'm oh, not thanksgiving but halloween related spooky season stuff so i think that the timing of the issue you know really makes a huge difference
0: yeah plus i love the title night of the living Ned." it's right. it's it's all just a really fun issue
1: what makes this so much more interesting to me is casting this issue against what we have in the mcu so if it were net like thinking about these actors Mm -hmm. they'll replace now with the characters from the mcu in their roles i think the actor who plays ned would kill it i do but also think about the actor who's playing uh flash
0: ew Uh, okay uh, yeah
1: i mean they have flash and betty I mean, not Flash and Betty. They had Ned and Betty together during Far From Home, yeah. right? Right. You know, in the fastest relationship ever. But, but it was it was crazy. It was cool. I I really thought this episode, uh, this episode, I really thought this issue had a lot to offer. And one of the things I thought was really fascinating is this is a couple years before Carnage comes out. Mm-hmm. But when they rip the mask off the Spider Man monster, it looks like Carnage's face
0: had the same thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or doppelganger.
1: Yeah. Or doppelganger. Yeah. But that same level of like whited out mouth, weird eyes. Jagged teeth shapes. Jagged teeth. Exactly. So I thought that it worked. I mean just incredibly effective in terms of how it delivers and what it delivers. Really, 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 really well done. Really and, well and done. And the, the
2: what's upsetting in the story is far more about sort of the emotion of it and what what the what the monsters sort of represent and what they're saying more than their appearance. Like even Zombie Ned Leeds, like you said James, he's sort of the creep show version of a zombie. It's not so terrifying that it's off-putting to look at, but it's the things that he's saying that are upsetting.
0: Yep. Yep. It's it's just this far removed from okay. where's my cake. Yeah. But speaking of cake, we should probably go ahead and talk about X-Men number 243. I have no idea. See, I'm not the master of segue that you are, David. Uh, that's a, this issue picks up from the issue of X-Factor. Title on this one is Ashes. Writer is Chris Claremont. Mark Silvestri is penciler. Hilary Barta is our guest penciler. Joe Rosen is our letter. Glynis Oliver is our colorist. Bob Harris is our editor. Tom DeFalco is editor-in-chief. It's it's, it's the wrap-up issue, guys. We this have is
1: also right when this is like Jim Shooter was being transitioned out of Marvel this year, right?
2: Yeah. That's about that, that because, sounds right, yeah.
1: Because Jim was the editor Jim Shooter was the editor in chief like the issue before. Is that right?
0: He get he re- he gets referenced in the Spider-Man issue.
1: Right. In Nuts. the in the internet. Or, or maybe that was Jim Sallycrow. That you might be right. is that'd... definitely in the previous one. Okay. Jim, Jim Salakrup, not Jim Shooter. Oh. Got it. Okay.
2: You mentioned the title is Ashes. I had completely missed that because there's so many different sort of bits of text that seem to be a title. Because the cover tells us Sinister Triumphant. Mm-hmm. And then the first page says Inferno Part the Fourth. And then it's only on the second page that we get Ashes.
0: Mm-hmm. I can understand why you, where you get don't understand access the name of the story because I can't figure out the cricket connection at all.
2: <laughs> <Just that reference. laughs>
0: I'm so glad. Good, good Douglas Adams fan. Okay, there you go. So the X-Men, especially Dream Grey, are crying over the Dead Mountain Pryor when suddenly Jean cries out in anguish and we realize that she's being tormented by the dark memories from the phoenix that madeline had previously been housing within her own psyche and with the help of psylocke some of the x-men i believe yes storm cyclops and wolverine enter the mind of jean gray where jean is experiencing her death on the blue area of the moon but The memory is being assaulted by a kaiju, sorry, Minister Sinister, who (laughs) is systematically attempting to destroy the memories. And these ghosts, I guess astral image X-Men, are flying Doctor Strange style through all these memories, which are now part of both Jean and Madeline's combined form. Wow, X-Men titles, you gotta love them. They didn't land in what seems to be the beginning xavier's school for gifted youngsters where they are attacked by the goblin queen but aided by the psyche of jean gray who's wearing who's going through an evolution of her old costumes somewhat similar to the evolution of costumes malin Pryor went through at the beginning of inferno which if that's an intentional touch is really nice we then of course have kaiju minister sinister smashing things up everybody's really scared he tries to eat some people We then see Madeline Pryor's psyche saying, hey, what's up, X-Men? And they have this weird thing where they like try to reason with her still because that went so well when she was alive. And then Jean Grey's like, nope, this is my mind, my soul, my life, and I'm going to keep it to myself. And she breaks free from Sinister's attack because I thought originally it was like just a mental projection of Sinister, like a part of Madeline's memories, but it turns out it actually was Sinister somehow attacking within gene Grey's mind okay but sinister says to polaris oh i mean sorry malice that they will shortly have company and it turns out sinister has been hiding out in the x mansion
1: which is super weird like the
0: level of ballsy on it and wolverine even calls it out like man has brass taken over our old place so the x-men search the x mansion for sinister and They come upon the Marauders who have been altered by Inferno and seem to still be altered by Inferno somehow. It doesn't really make sense, but okay. Psylocke takes out Sabretooth pretty quickly. Polaris arrives, and they capture her fairly easily. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to forcefully remove you from uh, Malice from Polaris. We're going to free Lorna Dane. And we're like, no, I'll die if you do. We've been amalgamated into one form. And have it. And she's like, Havoc, I love you. You love me once. And it's like, well, if that's true, talk. And then the X-Mansion explodes for the fifth time this month. <laughs> uh, what you're saying well, is this is an
2: issue of X-Men.
0: Yeah, yeah. Galaris emerges from the rubble seemingly unscathed, sees Mr. Sinister standing there, and like, I'll use your child as I do everyone. And he discovers the still-alive form of Jean Grey in the rubble. And he's like, hot diggity damn, I got the original. I don't need my clone anymore. And then, of course, Longshot shows up and like, yo, there's still one X-Men left, bitch.
1: Right. It's not quite what he says, but... <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. It is implied.
2: I, I had he actually invites them to kill him first, is what he
1: does.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah your wishes your wish x-men is our command and our pleasure
1: it's like we're gonna kill them all and he's like only well, if you kill me first and i'm like okay sure done
0: yeah you are be- you are the x-men i have the least investment in congratulations
1: I <laughs> uh, uh there is a lot to like about this issue there is there are some weird things about this issue that is also true
2: yes uh
1: i so there's there's piece of this that is very much like Avengers Under Siege where Baron Zemo comes in and blows up Avengers Mansion, more or less. And Cap is, you know, Cap is looking at his old stuff all destroyed by Baron Zemo. Like the picture of his mom, his DiMaggio baseball, a bunch of things that he kept in his footlocker. there it had emotional weight and presence. Here there's literally just two panels, one of which is just Wolverine looking at a picture of somebody we don't know so he doesn't really say anything it's just like oh this used to be wolverine's girlfriend we we don't know but it's very difficult to tell but it's just like two panels of just people looking at pictures and not really talking about what those pictures mean so that to me is super weird i i also this also feels like it's riffing a lot on that issue of avengers where they take where ant-man takes out everybody Mm -hmm. Or that episode of Super Friends where Robin has the powers of all the super friends and has battle Frankenstein, who also has all the powers <laughs> of all the super friends. Like it's uh, literally Trey, we
0: we are we are covering that on the show. I don't care if it's not Marvel Horror. We're covering that one issue on the show.
1: <laughs> oh, you know what episode I'm talking about. That's great. Anyway, it's anyway, all to say, there's a lot to like about this issue, but it's it's a lot cramped into uh, very small package with some really good art, really quality art. Uh, a lot of the riffs about like, I'm the weakest, ha ha ha. Or like, oh, you've destroyed everything we've ever owned. The emotional resonance just isn't here. I know they're trying to tie a lot of stuff together and it it is smart in a lot of ways and very dynamic, but it doesn't have for me the emotion that I needed to have.
2: I do like, how There's kind of a, a book ending of sinister, literally smashing memories in Gene's <laughs> head to him smashing the physical representation of memories. In- mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I just wish that that connection was a little bit more cohesive and that we sure. were given. But we're as not new seeing readers- anything
2: that we can say, oh, that's that thing that we saw back then, or that we can right. connect this to this other issue or whatever.
1: Right, because this. Scott looking at a picture when Scott's looking at his picture. Is he looking at a picture of him and Madeline or is he looking at a picture of him and Gene?
0: Right. It's Madeline because she has bangs. See, I didn't know that. And is it is it
1: and we don't see Wolverine without his mask. So if we don't know that about Wolverine, that's Wolverine and his girlfriend or that his girlfriend had had died because she was dead at this point. Right. Yeah, that's Silver Fox, right? That's no, that's Mariko. Okay, Right. Yeah, Fox, you're right. Fox, you're right. His wife. Silver Fox, Silver Fox hadn't been introduced yet. See,
0: this is what I get for being an early 90s ex baby.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that is th- these are all the things I'm just saying is that there is there's just not there is just not the emotional weight here in terms of right. connecting. It, Wolverine could just be looking at a picture of anything.
2: The impact by by nature of just how many how much ground they're having to cover, it has to be broad strokes.
1: Right. But I just wish that there were, like, Wolverine didn't have his mask on. Like, if I was a new reader, I wouldn't know that that was Wolverine at all.
2: Right, yeah. right.
0: See, the way to fix that is just have him pull back his mask for a second and get a good look at
1: it. But exactly. He does so often. He does that yep. so often in comics. He doesn't do it. Doesn't do it once here. And, but I do love that on that same page, we get a nod to DC Comics, which Shazam.
2: Yep. Yes. Yep. I, I noticed that, too. Yeah. In fact, I would like to praise the onomatopoeia sound effects throughout this issue as being really great.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, hey, we know that the the previous issue was just a big emotional, psychological battle. And you're going to get a little bit of that here, too, in this issue. But you're also going to get some good
2: Biff Bam bow
0: in here as well.
2: And speaking of DC... Was I the only one who, as they were flying through the the realm of of memories, was thinking of the Phantom Zone from the Superman movie?
1: Oh, maybe? Wait, no. I did. Where where the the memories
2: are all like sort of shards of glass floating through space? In
1: Superman Superman 2, like in Superman 2, I can definitely see that. Yes. I thought that that was really, really well done. It is interesting this is not in this issue of x-men i forgot how much x-men goes off the rail after inferno huh. uh because here's a parody of here's yeah you could say that this is kind of a parody on like he's punching that his hand through the phantom zone and it is kind of like a parody on parody on that right yeah and this is really really heady stuff yeah. then in the next issue after this is 244 right the introduction of jubilee which is kind of silly stuff it's very like buckaroo bonsai kind of silly and then is it right after that where it's so next issue is like ladies night ladies night out and then i think the following issue like or maybe it's 247 is like boys night out and then it's a parody of invasion the uh- I, uh, DC Comics Invasion. I, am I right? I've never read
2: that, but that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, that we. we uh,
1: it's it's yeah. So literally, I think it's Rob Liefeld cover. Is it Rob Liefeld or? cover? No, it's not. Maybe two forty seven. It's maybe 245 It's a Rob Liefeld cover. Yes, it's two forty five. So two issues after this It's a Rob Liefeld cover, and then it's literally all humor issue about parroting parroting DC Comics's Invasion, with monsters look eerily similar. Uh, everything uh, looks really weird. Uh, this, this is they're weird, called the Conquest. The Con. You're right, exactly. But all to say, mm. all to say, it's very interesting that they're parroting DC here with the breaking of the Phantom Zone, and then two issues later, you know, they do. I think Rob Liefeld even draws this issue. Anyway, all to uh, say, yeah, it's, very, it's
2: it's Claremont writing with Liefeld penciling.
1: Yeah, it's all to say it's a very weird it's a weird time in comics with all the parodies but I get it it was super heady stuff but it's just so weird to go from like and I think maybe that's to partially um partially I think to Claremont's credit is he can do really heady stuff and then yeah. also sometimes this stuff is a little too Douglas Adamsy in terms of parody that it, it sort of misses the mark. So it's interesting. I'm glad we got the drama here and it, it is kind of interesting and it is kinetic. I do wish it, the storytelling connected a little bit more on, on an emotional level, but it's just very interesting to see how we can get the X-Men very dour uh, and dark here. And, and then two issues later get kind of super nonsensical. Yeah. Does it make sense?
2: That, that makes a lot of sense. That that speaks, I think to what people who really love the X-Men like about it, that like, you know, they can, they can have a really sort of existential battle against, I don't know, forces of Magneto or whatever. And then the next issue can be mostly a basketball game or something.
0: Right. It always just reminds me the thing about the X-Men. They're not superheroes. They aren't. They're always just responding to their own drama.
2: It's reactive. Yeah.
1: I, I don't, I don't, Entirely by that, they are superheroes, they are a mutant superhuman response team, you know, even when Magneto took over Cape Canaveral in the first issue, they were superheroes. they prevented us from nuclear disaster, but largely and their existence in and of itself is a crime to crime crime to humanity so so I mean, on one hand, yes, they're not superheroes, they're just fighting for they're freedom fighters fighting for the right to live and exist and breathe On the other hand they do fight they do fight superhero monster disaster things sure Sure. okay that's fair you know but but it's usually because because of some other mutant you know like if they if they weren't born if mutants didn't exist there would be no sentinels sure yeah but also if hank pym wasn't born there'd be no ultron (laughs) <laughs>
0: this is true. That's fair.
2: This is also true.
1: And if Reed Richards wasn't born, there'd be no Doctor Doom. Yeah. 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 It's true.
0: And of course, like half of Spider-Man's villains were created yeah. as a response to him.
1: Right. And if you watch Batman Eighty Nine, if you watch Batman Eighty Nine, the Joker wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Batman.
2: Yep. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> even in the comics, you know the 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 Red Hood Syndicate and all that, like Batman kind of right. creates him there too. So
1: uh, well, I know we're getting a little off the point but the point is is that the x-men are just very interesting claremont has a good handle on the characters so there's no reflection on him in terms of the characters it's just you know sometimes connecting with if this is your first issue just like you know chad's first issue was in the middle of inferno it's very difficult to make all the connections that you need to make here
2: yeah it really does i i think and i think what you've been hitting on with the lack of Strong emotional resonance is it's sort of trading on an expectation that you already have an investment in Jean Grey and Madeline Pryor and their relationship to Scott and the mystery of Wolverine's past, like all these things that aren't explicitly hit on here, but the expectation is that you just know because there's all of this continuity from the last several years, mm-hmm. right? And someone Which is made, the blessing? It's the blessing and the curse of this era of Marvel storytelling. Yeah, right. and somebody
0: um recently made that point about some of the more popular recent franchises, either Star Wars <laughs> or the MCU, and are like, it's not accessible anymore. You know, unless you've watched such and such TV series and have watched like twenty movies
1: beforehand. And I'm like, chill. That's the fun of it. Like. Yes, but if you keep doing that pattern of, if you, if that continues to be your pattern, then what happens is ultimately you have an attrition, you have a standard attrition where you don't have anybody else because the barrier to entry is too big. So it's always good to, to come back in. And, and I mean, that's one of the reasons why rebo, reboots work or refreshes work or relaunches work is that, you know, it, where's the opportunity to create that? we talked about lowering the, the bait the gateway to entry so what does become a good jumping on point
2: right and and creating a jumping on point that doesn't feel needlessly filled with exposition or pedantic
1: right right but i think you're absolutely right part of the fun of it is getting immersed in all of it i mean one piece is how many how many episodes you know not the new one not the live action one but you yeah, know. I think oh, right 200,
2: 200 or anime. something or uh, right I, exactly and that equals how many volumes of manga like <laughs>
0: right exactly. yeah but i guarantee you, i have a student who has watched every single one of them
2: oh yeah you yeah, can probably friendly. quote
0: chapter and verse right and, and like i tell these kids you realize this show started when i was in college right <laughs> children
1: right children children but yeah so but it's very interesting i i think that this is a heady mix i mean that's a huge summary of what we've discovered we've covered uh two issues Men. One issue of X-Factor and an issue of Spider-Man, which I think really does do a good job of covering the scale of how big Inferno was. So we are on the tail end of it. We're like winding towards what will ultimately be the finale. So if you're jumping into these issues right here, of course, so much of the emotion has already escalated to such a, a huge level. But I do find it interesting this will come to make a difference in your, in your next episode as you cover the next issues. But I find it very interesting that part of, part of the finale of X factor is concluded and alluded to in classic X men. Interesting. Yeah. There's a whole thing with Scott and the orphanage um, that leads directly into it, but it was running concurrently to, it was running concurrently with, Classic X-Men was running concurrently to what was happening with the X-Men. So the stuff with Scott in the Orphanage is actually tied to Inferno.
2: Right, because they visit the orphanage earlier in the event. Right. And
1: but the th- then you remember Classic X-Men had those backup issues that That's had extra, right. pages, extra pages in the back. That's right. Because the- those issues of X-Men at the time in the seventies were only seventeen pages long.
2: Right, so they had to fill the book with their material. So
1: they filled the book not just with extra story pages, but Classic X-Men had... Uh, I mean, because I was just reading reading one recently, a Classic X-Men that was about, X, about Alpha Flight, weird, weirdly enough. And there's places where they had other artists fill in the gaps in the stories in order to... And they also included backups. So it's very That's interesting it. to see sort of how what you see in this conclusion of Inferno is wrapped up in classic X-Men and the synergy of classic X-Men to Inferno is very fascinating to me.
0: And uh, David, was it you who pointed out that also Chris Claremont used classic
1: X-Men to rewrite some history and rewrite some panels? Yep. Yes, he absolutely did that. And you see it uh, multiple times. There's actually a classic X-Men reprint. I mean, not reprint. There's a classic X-Men omnibus. Um, That Mm -hmm. actually goes through and talks about how he has rewritten or removed some cultural references, how he has gone in and sort of like woven together some things. It's very, very interesting to see how the reprint, uh, even between like classic X-Men, which came out 10 years after, you know, 10 years after. Yeah, it came out literally 10 years after. new genesis the classic x-men giant size x-men issue you know it came out 10 years later but those back issues were so expensive and so hard to find at the time and there weren't really wasn't really a market for trade paperbacks so they did all the reprints and reprints were easy and cheap to make but yeah that was basically it is that chris would just come in and and do a like a light retouch or re-edit on some of the dialogue and write some additional pages fascinating wow there's a whole blog that breaks or maybe a blog, but definitely the trade paperback of Classic X-Men goes through and says this that line of dialogue was removed this pop culture reference and this line of dialogue was changed here and this piece of art was changed and we added three pages of art here. Like if you read the classic classic X-Men issue of God, I want to say it's classic X-Men. I don't remember what issue it is, but it the one with Alpha Flight in it. They had like five pages of story penciled by Karen Dwyer. That really mo uh, like elaborate on what James mcdonald Hudson was doing when he was hunting down Wolverine.
2: Sort of like Tolkien after he finished Lord of the Rings going back and sort of revising the Hobbit to smooth out the wrinkles and continuity.
1: Right. And that's what he did in Classic X-Men. He went in and he added the backstory for how Jean met Mastermind in when she was away from the X-Men and how that contributed to the Jean becoming Dark Phoenix.
0: This episode has come a long way from a Johnny Dollar riff. I'm just saying. I know. <laughs> and you know, David, we don't actually have an expense report you could do at the end of the episode. Oh, so <laughs> you're gonna to need to pay your bills by telling our listeners where they can find your work.
1: People can find my work at their local bookstore. You can order copies of Only Living Boy, of the Only Living Boy Omnibus from Barnes and Noble, Amazon your local comic book store. Uh, You can order copies of High Moon, which is my werewolf western, inspired by old radio episodes of Gunsmoke at your favorite local comic shops. And then you can find most of my work on uh, your favorite digital comics retailer near you. So check out any of my work and visit my website at davidgallaher.com or find me on Blue Sky at David Gallagher.
0: That's right. And you can always find us at Tube of Ideas on social media we are at facebook.com slash tomb of ideas we are on um the website for me knows twitter at tomb of ideas we're on blue sky at tomb of ideas we are on lots and lots of stuff at tomb of ideas instagram threads oh and god we got email remember email guys right it's tomb of ideas at gmail.com
2: And, of course, we are proud members of the CinePunks podcasting group. You'll find our entire back catalog at CinePunks.com. That's CinePunks with an X. And along with our show, you'll find a lot of other great content like The Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, Horror Business, and much, much more. So check out CinePunks.com. But, love listeners,
0: that doesn't do it for the Inferno Affair because you have homework. Because, remember, Trey and I are both teachers, and we love giving homework. Next episode, we need you to read X-Factor, number 39, Damage Control, number 4, Power Pack, number 44, and Mutant Misadventures of Cloak and Dagger, number 4. And there may be a quiz. (laughs) But until next time, Tomb Believers, pencils down.
1: Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas,
0: a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb members, (laughs) excelsior! all right that was fun that was
1: fun yes that was i've been
0: listening to a lot of (laughs) giant dollar recently so you know it works
1: my favorite
0: like at first i was like oh it's just such a vanilla detective show and then it's like okay this is an all-night stream i need something to fall asleep to this will work and eventually i'm like (laughs) no i must listen to it all it's so this is compelling
1: (laughs) it's so good it's so good. So my favorite episodes. So Johnny Dollar is my Bob Bailey is my favorite of the Johnny Dollars, without a doubt. And then it's Mandel Kramer, and then it goes down the line. And then and this is an outtake. You don't need to hear this. But really, you get the you get you, four really great interconnected ones, starting with the Jolly Roger fraud matter, mm-hmm. and then the Plantagenet matter, and the Lamar matter. And they all go back to back to back to back. And then it's the Laird Douglas of Heatherscope matter. Oh, and God. Those, <laughs> dog <laughs> sorry well that's that you know it's so interesting because the dog is really the MacGuffin of that episode Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope and yeah. you're like oh my god but then when you get to it there's a Leopold and Loeb thing kind of going and you're like those two were totally lovers right I wasn't just yeah, imagining Leopold that and Loeb, yeah oh yes that's exactly it it's like it's like Hitchcock's rope yeah you know, with Farley Granger and John Dell you know like it's it's a whole thing
0: like, I, I, read, I played it for my family, but like, no, you're reading too much into this. They didn't do that sort of thing back
2: then. I'm like, no, these two are totally. Right, they right.
1: totally did. They there totally was someone did.
2: there was someone on social media saying that about rope the other day, like saying, <laughs> show me. They, they literally said, show me in this film where there's any homosexual subtext.
1: He's literally talking response... about choking a chicken.
2: My response was to just gesture at the entire film <laughs>
1: right. he's he's literally talking about remember that time you choked to that chicken and I was right. like dude right. that is that is that is rough <laughs> oh God oh man you know the whole thing so did you know that Cbs's
2: comedy programming had a a parody of
1: Johnny Dollar I did not know that
2: uh it was called Ace Willoughby International
1: Detective oh that's hysterical. I uh, it was part through. of it was
2: part of the Bob and Ray comedy duo
1: that oh, was on CBS makes at the time. So much more sense now. Yeah, I love that Bob and Ray are crazy. And then yeah, so anyway, Johnny Dollar, absolutely my my favorite. And before that, Bob Bailey was in let let George do it, which is also really good. Not as good as yours truly, Johnny Dollar, but it was really really great. I will also. Somewhere on a Johnny Dollar documentary talking about my favorite stuff because I did a series of interviews about working on it. I think that Johnny Dollar documentary is on Facebook. Oh yeah, it is on Facebook. That's the one. Who is Johnny Dollar? Matter. Very nice. Yeah, that I, Johnny Dollar. Yes, it is on Facebook. I'm in that episode.
0: Excellent, because I because I, it's on my playlist to watch eventually. Because honestly, I thought I didn't like Johnny Dollar, and they realized no, I just wasn't listening to Bob Bailey episodes. right Right. like the 15 minute episodes
1: man they're great yeah anyway inferno i'm ready i'm (laughs) ready for the intro i i i'm ready okay i'm ready to talk about it all right trey you ready i'm
0: ready when you are okay i'll do the intro for this one sounds good Uh, coming in in five four three two one